morning, and thanks for joining us, whether you're online or, uh, well, you are online. There's only a handful of us here that are doing uh, worship and tech and uh, teaching, so we're glad that you've joined us online and uh, look forward, as Scott said, to kind of determining when we're going to be back in person again. I have enjoyed going through this series on emotions uh, with you, but it is a lot more fun to do this in person, and I just miss having you here, uh, seeing you, talking with you, building relationships, knowing that we're important to each other, and I know that you're feeling that as well, and, and so we're looking forward to that time when we not only get to come together, because likely what that's going to look like is a transitional period of uh, those who are comfortable, those who have been vaccinated, those who don't feel um, like they're medically fragile, are, are likely to come back sooner. Um, and then as the numbers continue to go down and as more people get vaccinated or as uh, people just feel more comfortable, then more and more will come. And much of what our future as a church looks like is wrapped around um, a growing sense of what community is. Now, that's always been important to us, but in the coming months and over the next year, as we are able to be in each other's presence physically, this is where we need to go. And I, what I anticipate and what I believe is that there are a lot of folks, and some of you may be watching that have never attended our church before, um, that are looking for an opportunity that they weren't before. And they're looking for relationships more intentionally than they were before. Uh, this is one of the things that we as followers of Jesus should be doing well is relationships. In fact, Jesus said we would, uh, people would know we're following him by our relationships, the way we love each other. And so we'll talk about more about what these coming weeks look like. I'm really looking forward building up to Easter um, and some new ways of doing some storytelling and uh, just talking with you. Uh, we're going to be starting a podcast, and some of you have asked, well, you've said that, but when is it going to be starting? I hope within the next couple of weeks we're going to begin doing some interviews and some talking with not only people in our church, uh, but also people in the community, some community leaders, uh, pastors, nonprofit leaders, and just people who are working and doing good things, um, because I want you to see them, and I want you to see each other. I want you to hear from each other what's going on in your lives, what's important to you, how is God working, how can we be praying for you. And so I'm really looking forward to diving into a lot of new opportunities um, as we get ready to, to kick back off. I don't know when that will be quite yet, but hopefully soon we'll we will be talking about that today, and we will let you know as soon as we know. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little differently. We've tried to hit some of the harder emotions, and the reason we're doing this series is because we believe we are coming to an end of the pandemic. Now, depending on who you listen to, some people say, well, as soon as the pandemic's over, there's going to be another pandemic. There's going to be one right after that one. And while that may be the case, we're not going to live our lives that way. We're going to live our lives as if we get to be together. Um, but we have to process how we're feeling. And as followers of Jesus, one of the things, uh, depending on how you grew up or, or kind of what kind of church you came up through, sometimes the emotions that we feel were vilified. They were bad. They were sinful. You shouldn't feel these feelings. But the problem with emotions is that we ourselves can't usually control them. We can't just tell ourselves, I'm just, 
I'm just going to be happy. Uh, Tell someone who's struggling with depression, you know what? Just decide to be happy and inside you will kill them just a little bit more. Whenever we're feeling uh, just uncertain and we say, just be confident. Well, most of us, if any of us can just decide, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to be confident now. I'm not going to second guess myself anymore. Instead, emotions tend to happen to us. And what can happen and the way our culture tends to move is we tend to be so motivated by how we feel that we will either protect ourselves from bad feelings or we will make sure that we are only doing the things that give us good feelings. But the problem is, is you have to so shelter yourself away from the world in order to protect yourself so you only feel certain things that you can't actually live that way. Interestingly, when we look at some of the emotions that um, some people and, and in some churches are vilified, things like anxiety, like if you struggle with anxiety or depression, a lot of times that's vilified in the church. It shouldn't be. Uh, we've seen that Jesus himself struggled with anxiety. We've seen that Jesus himself struggled with um, sadness. We've seen that he, he, he dealt with anger. We, we saw all kinds of ways in which Jesus felt the same emotion. Scripture tells us he felt all the things that we feel, yet he did not sin. So when we talk through our emotions, what I hope will happen as we come to the end here, next week will be our really kind of ending point for the emotions series. As we come to the end, what I hope that you're taking away from this is that what you feel is natural and normal, and there's nothing wrong with how you're feeling. How we respond to those feelings do matter. I want to talk about a feeling today that uh, is something probably a lot of people are feeling right now for different reasons and in different ways. And I do believe Jesus himself struggled with this as well. But I want to ask a bigger question that people outside of our faith, people outside of the church are usually asking. We're a little afraid to answer. We're not exactly sure we know what the answer is or we're afraid we're going to misspeak. But today I want to talk to you about hurt But not just hurt, I want to talk to you about where is God when we hurt. There's a a real contradiction in much of the way that we live our lives as followers of Jesus in which we will tell our friends, God is good, God is gracious, God cares, God is there, God is working for good things to happen in your life. And yet, they look around at the world and they see so much hurt and pain and the evil that goes on all around them, the, the natural question that begins to be asked is, well, where is God in all of that? If God is gracious and loving and good and working towards good and wants all things to, to work towards good, then, then why does he allow or why does he cause all these bad things to happen? I don't know if I'm going to give you the answer that's going to end that question for you, but I do have some things to share with you. And similar to what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, I want to give you a little bit different take on how God addresses hurt than we usually talk about. Because there is a missing component in the way we deal with hurt. Uh, We have expectations that are usually unrealistic of others and of ourselves. So let's dive in. Um, If you Have your Bible with you. I'm going to go through quite a bit of scripture. I sometimes do this where I just try to give you a broad picture where what I'm telling you is really what we see throughout scripture. But then we're going to spend some time in Psalm 22, 
So if you would like to go to Psalm 22, we're going to read that whole sucker together. Uh, Before we get started doing that, I just want to remind you that in the Bible, uh, people have struggled with hurt and pain and disappointment from the beginning, (laughs) from the beginning. We read a few weeks ago from Ecclesiastes, and the first few verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, the author, who we assume is Solomon, says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, or vanity, or as we discussed, vapor. Everything is vapor, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. It is a picture of despair, a picture of disappointment, a picture that we are here one minute and we are gone the next. And we can look at Solomon, who was said to be the wisest person who ever lived, and recognize that even he, who had great wealth and power, was celebrated even to this day struggled with this world that we live in. It's the reality that we live in a world that is not perfect. We live in a place in which we want things to go well, and we don't want to hurt, but we do. One of the problems we have when we start talking about hurt is when two people who are both hurting talk to each other, they're not always talking about the same thing, and yet they are both feeling something deeply. And when we're young and we don't get invited to our friend's birthday party, we are hurt, right? (laughs) And in a four, five, six-year-old mind and heart, not getting invited to the party that other friends got invited to is a very real sense of hurt. It can bring tears and sadness and just become despondent. It is a very real hurt. But you talk to somebody, and and that can continue well beyond those elementary years, by the way. But this week we heard from a woman who lost her husband and her children in a house fire. Now she's dealing with a whole different level of hurt. You you ask her, well, well, how do you think that compares to someone who doesn't get invited to a party? And she doesn't even think that's hurt because she's dealing with a whole nother level of hurt. But the reality and the way hurt works within us is even though these two hurts really don't seem to compare if you put them on a scale to the person who's experiencing them and feeling them, they have a similar effect. Because for them, that hurt is real. That's one of the reasons that we don't try to one-up each other's hurts. Have you ever had someone who tries to one-up your hurt? You know, they, they share something they're struggling with, or maybe it's in a small group and you're praying about different things, and then you feel like, oh, yeah, that's bad, but that's not as bad as me. <laughs> and then we want to sh- kind of one-up and say, yeah, but my hurt's really bad. I need some attention and care here. But the reality is a lot of times our hurt's aren't the same, but they feel the same. They feel painful. They feel like our life is off track. They feel like it shouldn't be this way. And as Christians, one of the things we do have to recognize is that God is good. I believe God is good. God loves us. God is working in our lives. God sent his son to walk in this broken world And to give his life for us, he walked out of the tomb after being dead for three days and 
He is offering us eternal life. That is good. I believe that. I hope in that. We talk about that. We like to, to talk about heaven, but what about the atrocities that are going on in the world or the little girl who doesn't have food today or during this pandemic, children that are stuck at home with parents who are working from home and while they got some poor treatment before the pandemic, now that they can't get out of the house together, it's gotten even worse. How do we look at that and say God is good and God is gracious and God is at work? Those are some of the questions we have to answer and I'm not going to try to... There's no way, depending on whatever hurt you may be coming with today, for me to address that fully or completely, other than I I believe God gives us a way to deal with hurt that we often don't utilize. And I want to share that with you for a few minutes. But I do want to remind us, as we kind of enter into where this question of where is God when we hurt, is the reality that the world fundamentally changed when sin entered it. And I just want to remind us about a conversation we've had in just a few weeks ago about these two kingdoms, these two realms, the realm of the world and the realm of God or the kingdom of heaven. And what we have looked throughout understanding what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of heaven is the reality that at different times in the history of the world, the kingdom of heaven has intersected the world. And when they intersect, beautiful things happen. Good things happen when the kingdom of heaven intersects the world. The greatest time in the history of the world in which the two overlaid and intersected and were inseparable from each other was the Garden of Eden. It was the place where everything was going well. And then sin entered into this. What we find is that the world is full of brokenness when this realm leaves or when it's without God. So when we read in Genesis chapter 3, this is where God is basically saying, so now this is what's going to happen now that you have sinned and now you can't exist in this perfect, holy intersection of the world and heaven right now. This is... What Genesis 3 says, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He also said, the work's going to be harder now. Giving birth is going to be harder now. Relationships are going to to be harder now. There's something that happens when the presence of God intersects with the world that changes the world for the better, and yet when that is pulled away, the world breaks, and we live in this broken world. Now, what we've seen over time is that God has continued to intersect with the world in different ways. The kingdom of heaven has has come back and intersected, integrated with the world in different times. For example, the tabernacle, when the Holy of Holies, God's presence would literally be in the Holy of Holies, and then that became the temple. And the Holy of Holies in the temple, God's presence lived in the Holy of Holies. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was ripped. The Holy of Holies was no longer a separate place, and God's presence left the temple. And now we bear the presence of God through the Holy Spirit that lives within us, as Jesus said. So God has intersected the world, not 
not to mention Jesus coming and being in the world, and which and that happens, it is good. But we recognize just because bad things happen in the world, it's not that God causes them all. I'm not going to say he doesn't cause any. But to attribute to God all of the brokenness, evil, and, and all of the terrible things that happen in this world is just not true. The reality is that when God's presence is not with us, the world gets ugly, and we begin to hurt. Hurt is a natural part of being in this world. So natural that even Jesus, the Son of God, who Scripture tells us when God spoke, Jesus is the one who went and did the creating. I mean, he is one of the Trinity, it's, it's, it's amazing that when we look at the story of Jesus, I believe Jesus experienced hurt, not just physical pain. Physical pain is a whole nother level of hurt, but Jesus experienced hurt even on this planet. If we say that you can be mature enough to never hurt, then we look at someone like Jesus and we say, well, maybe Jesus wasn't that mature, right? That's so silly that we would say that, but that's essentially what we're saying Yet time and time again, Jesus would have these crowds come and these people wanting to be his disciple, want to follow this rabbi, and, and then they would he would give them just the truth. And they would leave. One time in particular, he looks over at his disciples, his chosen few that he had drawn and pulled them out from all of their different walks of life and said, come walk with me. We're going to do this together. And he, one time he turns and he looks at them and he says, are you going to leave too? I can tell you as a leader, when people leave you, it hurts. I believe it would have hurt Jesus too. We talked about Jesus coming into uh, a city in which his friend Lazarus had died. And as he walked in, when we talked about sadness, he wept, I believe, wrapped up in his sadness, was hurt. Not just that Lazarus was dead, but just at the decimated family members that were there because there are few things that hurt as much as losing someone that you love. And he wept. I believe there was hurt there. As he looked out and he just experienced the, just the air of death over the whole town. Jesus experienced that, and he hurt. Jesus hung on the cross, and of course it hurt when they put the nails in his wrists and the nails in his feet. It hurt when they, they, they whipped him with the cat of nine tails and put the crown of thorns. Of course those things hurt, but he, I believe, hurt in other ways as well. Can you imagine as he looked down at these people that he came to give his life for, and they are mocking him and spitting on him? And here he is in great agony for these people. I'm sure there was hurt there. And I'm sure there was hurt when he cried out and God pulled his presence back from Jesus. And he says, God, why have you forsaken me? You can't tell me there's not hurt wrapped up in that. See, I believe Jesus himself experienced hurt. So if you are experiencing hurt, this is a normal part of being in a broken world. The world is full of brokenness without God. So what do we do with it? If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Psalm 22. I'm going to read the whole thing. 
And I want you to listen to this prayer. This is a prayer by King David. And interestingly, if you go through and you read the Psalms, you will find that a third of the Psalms are basically very similar to this one. And I'll just tell you right up front, this is not David saying the world is great and and, and everything is good and I am super happy. As we read through this, maybe your your circumstance is different than David's, but maybe some of how he describes how he's feeling is similar. I want to read this to you because we don't need to be afraid of talking about our hurt. God wants us to honestly talk to him about our hurt. Psalm 22, this is what David says. He says in verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Somebody else said that, not just David. You remember Jesus said that too. I think this is probably why. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He thrusts, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Ah, you ever felt hurt so personally that you can relate to what David is saying. My heart felt like just wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a post herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from my sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. 
all of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction or the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Now, there's a a few movements in this prayer. Many of the Psalms are prayers. And one of the things that we as Christians believe and we go to are, is the reality that in times of hurt, we usually go to God in prayer. There's a few times in which we regularly want to pray. Most of the time is when things are going bad, right? Like, God, I am in trouble and I need you to intervene supernaturally so I won't be in as much trouble as I think I'm going to be. And sometimes that prayer is just full of thanksgiving because God has rescued or God has provided or God has just in a moment helped you to see his beauty or that he is there with you and he loves you and you just want to say, God, I am just so thankful for you. It's that moment that we realize he really is the pearl of great price. He really is the treasure buried in the field. He really does love me and he really is there for me. And so as we read through this, we recognize there are times that we thankful for who God is and what God has done. But sometimes we go to him because we're just utterly a mess and in pieces. And where is God when that happens? Where is God when things are falling apart and we feel broken and we are hurting and we feel that there's no there's no rescue coming? Some of the movements of David's prayer here is to say to God in some really creative language, I am in trouble here. My heart is like wax. It's melting within me. I'm encircled by the dogs and the lions. They seek to devour me. They gloat over me. I need a rescue. And then... His movement moves to the belief, to the realization, because we know David's story, that God does rescue him. He moves on to praise him and to let people know how God has helped him and rescued him. It's always good to read those stories when we know there's a good ending, isn't there? It's always easier to watch the movie that is just full of suspense when you know what's going to happen at the end. When I was growing up, one of the most popular movies for kids was The Wizard of Oz, but I hated The Wizard of Oz. I, w- I couldn't sleep after the... Wi- those monkeys, like, 
I thought about those monkeys all the time and the witches. Like I was when I would go to bed, if if, if it would start to storm outside, I was like, oh, here I go. I'm on my way to Oz. I was petrified. I hated the Wizard of Oz. But eventually, you know, it would come on, you know, around Halloween each year. Eventually, I knew how it was going to end, and so, oh, here are the monkeys. They are super creepy, but they're they're everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes we read these stories like David and we're like, you know, so David ended up being okay. Sometimes we have to read it and we have to read it from our perspective because we're in it and we're not yet sure if we're going to be okay. Where's God in that time? So a lot of times when we pray, um, if you're like me, I want to make sure God knows what God needs to do. Do you ever pray that way? It's probably just me, but... In case it's not just me, uh, sometimes I'll pray and be like, God, um, so I've talked to you about this, and so far I've not seen much movement, so I just wanted to give you some ideas about ways you yourself could do something to mitigate all of these problems, and then my problem would be solved, and I would tell everybody how good you are. Now, I know that's silly, uh, but let's be honest, there's probably a decent percentage of our prayers that follow some kind of pattern like that. As if God doesn't really know what's going on. God isn't really sure what he should do in this situation. And he's waiting for us to let him know. See, that's not what David's doing here. He is crying out for a rescue. But really what he's doing is he's being very articulate about how bad things are. Now, again, depending on kind of the world of the Christian or church world that you grew up in, it's very possible that you uh, were told that you are never to come to God and question him. I don't have such problems. I go to God and question him all the time, and it is because I believe that my questioning does not threaten God. (laughs) I'm not concerned that God's going to be like, you know what? Uh, so fine. If you're not going to trust me, then fine, because I believe God recognizes Mark is trying to figure this out, and Mark is a little bit of a messed up guy, so I'm going to give him some leeway to ask questions. But yet I can also trust that God is going to do something really, really good. What David does here is he wants God to understand how he's feeling, (laughs) He's honestly talking to God about his hurt. And I think for many of us, this is a skill, this is a um, practice that would serve us well, the ability to really talk through how we're feeling, to put real words with it, not to just throw out a couple of words and say that encompasses how I feel, Even though I do believe God can read all our emotions, it's not like God's like, oh, I didn't realize, Mark. I just just assumed you were okay. God understands. He sees. What David shows us is sometimes what we need is to process our hurt more deeply than we allow ourselves to do it. Sometimes what what we do is we just want to gloss over and pretend it's not there, or we just say one quick prayer, God, please do something here. And, And let's be honest, we've all had those moments when that's all of the prayer that we can get out because we are so hurting. But there seems to be, and what David is showing us is 
by processing what's how you're feeling and processing what's really going on within you, God wants us to come to him in prayer and he wants us he wants us to communicate all the deep ugly dirty stuff. That's a skill we have to learn. Prayer is a skill we have to learn. <laughs> it's not something that we just naturally do. We spend time doing it. We develop patterns of prayer. We set aside time in the day so we don't forget to pray. We we talk to God, and sometimes we like to create formulas, and we'll sometimes use the Lord's Prayer for a formula. So this is how you should pray each time, because Jesus literally said, so this is how you should pray. But he wasn't really saying, so you should say these words over and over and over again, even though we do sometimes recite them together because those are the words of Jesus, and he did tell us to pray that way. But but God is also relational, and that prayer doesn't encompass everything we have to say to him or him to us. Maybe we need to spend more time being articulate about what's going on within our hearts. Sometimes we just have to tell him how we're really feeling. And sometimes we have to remember that whenever we share these things with him, we come with the expectation that not only does he understand and does he know, but that God wants to do something. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. In other words, God, I feel broken and the lions and the dogs are encircling me, but I know you want to use something for good and I am going to praise you in front of others when you do this something good. This is where faith comes in. Remember, faith is that belief that we have that's based on some evidence of something that's real. Part of the evidence that our faith is, or that Jesus is real is, uh, you know, Paul, and part of his expression of the gospel said, listen, there were 500 people that saw Jesus walk out of that tomb, or not walk out, but after he did. There are 500 people saw him alive after he was dead, and most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we had that today? We can look at that and we can trust. We can believe. We Our faith is built on something that is true. We see evidence of that. And if we pay attention to what God is doing, we see that God is working things towards good, even when we don't see it in the moment, even when we're not sure how he's going to do it. We can trust that God, in my hurt is not going to be in vain. There's a secret. And I want to share it with you. Kind of our Western culture, we Sorry. have forgotten this secret. And I shared a little bit of this secret last week when we talked about love. On every English definition of love, it's all about a passive feeling that you have in a response to something, which is how most people view love. And that's why so many people struggle with love is because that's really not the biblical definition of love. Love especially as Paul described it in the most famous chapter in the Bible on love, his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, everything he says about love says there's something active about this. Like there's a, there's a way we live, there's a way we act, there's something we do, we're patient and we're kind and we don't boast and we root for the other and we don't just try to win ourselves. There's this reality in the Bible that the way 
our needs are met is communal. It is not individual. Absolutely, there are individual Christians around the world. They don't really have a community around them, or at least that they know of. They can do life together with other Christians, but most of us, and us in, in the U.S., especially us in the southern U.S., there's lots of people who at least say they're Christians that we can do life with. What Paul was basically saying was, love is active towards others. And what we saw in what we experienced personally is when someone is loving to us, like we usually don't get mad about that. Usually we're pretty happy about it. When someone is loving to us, we want to reciprocate in some way. When someone's generous to us, we want to reciprocate. I did a blog this week. If you're following, if you're on our email blast, we, you can sign up on our website if you're not. But usually we put out a, a, a thought every week as, long, as well as some other um, announcements for Journey, and you can, you can get that. But I put one out this week called the, the Lost Secret of Love, and that is that not only is it active, but... By giving love to others and by being loving to others, they will want to respond by being loving to us. I remember I heard years ago Tim Sanders speak, and at the time he was one of the big head honchos at Yahoo when Yahoo was, you know, the big, the big dog. Google is now. Yahoo was at one time. But I remember him saying this thing. I've never forgotten it. This was probably 15 years ago. He said, you will accomplish more in one year by investing in two people than trying to get two people to invest in you. Now, what he was saying here in, in, the, in the realm of love is you will experience more love by loving two people over this year than by trying to get two people to love you. Now, there's this dynamic, this communal community dynamic in which God is here with us and for us. And usually when we ask the question, where is God when I hurt? There's the unspoken assumption in our minds that he's the only one who can do anything about it. But what if he expects somebody else to do something about it? This is how the Bible works. This is how faith works. This is how Judaism worked. This is how Christianity worked. This is how Jesus talked about faith and love and care for each other. Because the reality is we are supposed to be an extension of God to care for others who hurt. We are supposed to be an extension of God to care for others who hurt. In other words... There are times that God can do what only God can do. And there are times God says, I, listen, my people are here. Care for those who are hurting. Jesus said, I'm here for those who are hurting. He called them different things. Sometimes he's talked about them as being sick. Sometimes he talked about them as being captives or slaves, or blind, oppressed. You can basically loosely say, I'm here for the hurting. The people who aren't hurting, they're doing okay, but I'm here for the hurting. It's one of the reasons I believe that it is hard to come to real faith until you've had real hurt. Because until you've had real hurt, you think you're okay. You can make it. You can take care of yourself. When you experience real hurt, 
You don't know where to go with that because like all emotions, I can't just decide not to be hurt anymore. I can't just say it's been two weeks. I need to stop. (laughs) I can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody can do that. What if God has put us as the body of Christ here to be the ones who care for those who are hurting? And that is God being with them in their hurt. Now, I believe, and if you go back before we started the motion series, we did a week called Dear 2020 and in which we dealt with some of the hurt and how God is with us through this time. And you can go back and watch that. And I believe all of that. God sees us. God groans with us in our pain. God is with us and working. So I in no way am trying to say God does not do those things. But I want to share a little different side of the coin with you today. That is, what if God wants to use you to be there for someone who's hurting instead of God doing something supernatural to just take away the hurt? Because we live in this world in which the presence of God, it doesn't intersect the world like it did in the Garden of Eden. Now, there's a time that's coming. Jesus is going to return There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and then they're going to intersect again, and all this brokenness is going to be gone. It's going to be healed. But but until that time comes, we're going to deal with hurt in this world. God has said, you're going to hurt. There are some ways to deal with that hurt, just like you're going to hurt each other. So one of the ways we deal with the hurt that we have that we when we hurt each other is we forgive each other. <laughs> you know, we don't just say God punish them for hurting me. No, we forgive them because we're going to hurt each other. That's what broken people do. We hurt each other. It's not God's fault that we hurt each other. We did that, but He's given us ways to deal with that hurt between each other. But but what if let's you know bigger picture? You are being sent to someone who's hurting. One of the things we talked about last week about love is that love is not just patient and give you time, the time that you need. And even when we need to speak truth to you, we recognize there's a time for that truth. We don't just blurt it out and walk away and say, well, I spoke truth. It's their fault. They didn't receive it. Sometimes we need to wait for the right opening. We, we talked about the fact that love is not irritable. I got to say, it's a struggle for me when I read things like that because I was irritable this week. I, I, were you? <laughs> Love is not irritable. It doesn't cost somebody something to be around you. How can we go out and care for others? I wonder if the Bible says anything about this. And as you might guess, it does. So let me just tell you a few things that the Bible says about it. Galatians 6.2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Don't hurt people? That's not the law of Christ. I mean, maybe that's a part of it. The law of Christ is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not more than yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people. We talk use those phrases. We don't usually live by them, but we do talk about them a lot in the church. So you fulfill the law of loving God and loving each other by bearing each other's burdens. Interesting. He also says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Yes, God, give me comfort. Who comforts us in all of our affliction 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. In other words, God is going to comfort you. He's going to comfort you through other people so that you can comfort other people. Sometimes when we say, where is God? When we hurt, we should say, where is the church when we hurt? More on that in a minute. So that's Paul. You know, Paul, he, some, you love him, you hate him. Paul is Paul. But this is what Jesus said about people who care for other people. He said in Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus himself was saying, yeah, like there's a very real ministry even to Jesus himself that says, I am going to do this for you by doing this for others. It is this care that we give to other people. Now, what we tend to do in, in, in our culture is we just tend to say, well, I'm sitting here hurting and everyone is to blame because I hurt so deeply. We all know someone who they're always hurt, right? And sometimes it's legitimate hurt. And of course, even just saying that sounds kind of gross, as if there's illegitimate hurt. It's not our place to call out necessarily illegitimate hurt, but yet you do know somebody who they are getting, they're hurt all the time. Like you can't do anything without hurting them. They're just constantly being offended. Scripture tells us you shouldn't be that way either. But what if part of the ways that we love or receive love is that we give it? What if part of the ways that we receive comfort is that we also give it? What if that is that missing secret of how God is there for us in our hurt because I have my body here? that is here to care for you until I return. That's part of what we're called to do. We live in such an individualistic time, which we don't really want to care for others. We just want to make sure we ourselves are taken care of. That is not the gospel. That is not what it looks like to be a part of the family of God or to be the brothers or sisters of Christ. He says, no, you, you need to take care of each other. And he goes so far as to say that the greatest piece of proof that you actually believe any of this stuff is how you do love each other. That means you get it, because that's not the way most people live. What does it look like for the church to begin to bear the hurts of others? You see, we were meant to help each other heal. We were meant to help each other in our hurts. We were meant to be there. And I recognize this can create a great amount of anxiety in people because most of the time when someone's hurting, we really don't know how to be there for them, do we? 
if someone's just lost a child, like what do you say? Now, if you've lost a child yourself, you probably have an idea. But if you haven't, like you, you don't even know what to say. You're not even sure you can be in the room with them because I, f- I feel so inadequate to help them with this hurt. I think that is a natural response for most of us. Like, I don't even know. Do you know why we struggle with doing that? It's because we don't practice it. Like any good thing in our lives, it requires practice. We get better at it. And sometimes we don't even have to say anything. We just have to be there in the room with them. And just just our very presence with them says, I can't, I can't stop your hurting, but I'm with you. I'm here with you. I love you. Isn't that really what we are often praying for God to do for us? Just be with me in my hurt. Just I'm hurting. God, just, I don't know that you can fix this, but I just, I don't want to be alone. You know what? That's the church too. Not just the church. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they'll have a place in that. But a lot of that, he's given that for us to do for others. What would it look like for us to be the church that cares for the hurts of others? What would that look like? What would it look like for you to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to look for hurting people and I'm going to be there for them? What would that look like? I don't know what that would look like for you. Reality is some hurts are so painful that we sometimes want to give up trying to care for others because no amount of care can replace a family member. There are some opportunities in life you feel like you've, you've screwed up your entire life because I messed up this opportunity and no amount of care can fix that. Like, it's done. I did it. It was stupid, and I did it. No amount of care that can do that. This takes me back to Solomon, (laughs) who, the wisest man, he prayed for wisdom, and God granted that prayer, and he was the wisest man in all of the world. And in his assessment of the world, he came to this place of deep depression to say, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. We live, and then we die. We're here, and then we're gone. And nothing changes. See, that's hurt. It's brokenness. It's the world we live in. It's why we hope for heaven, but we work to intersect with the kingdom of heaven every day right now where we are, even while we're waiting for Jesus to bring a more permanent expression of that, whether that be heaven or heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, whatever that's going to look like. This is part of life. Hurt is the reality of sin. Scripture says we so flatter ourselves, we don't even recognize what sin is in our life. And so many times we get angry with God for choices we made. Not God's fault we made that choice. We so flatter ourselves, we so fool ourselves. I'm in this position because I put myself in this position. It's not God's fault. And God doesn't force anything on us. There's going to be a judgment. That's kind of forced on us, but he did give us a way out if we choose to follow him. But he doesn't force anybody to follow him. He doesn't force anybody to choose him. He doesn't force anybody to, to do anything that they don't in some way want to do. 
we often refuse to take responsibility for the things that lead us to this hurt. Or, I hurt them. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, I hurt them, and I need to go to them. I need to do something about this. Probably hasn't been real recent. And if it, and if it was, if you can point to a time in which you did that, it's probably somebody who's really special to you. And this is why Jesus says, love each other. Like, let's make everybody special to each other. It's tough. It's hard. In the church, in, the, in, in our Western culture, sometimes uh, we, want, we want the staff to do that. Pastors should do that. I've been, in, I've been in traditions and churches in which the only person that should make a, a visit to a hospital or call somebody when they're hurting was the pastor. And if the pastor didn't do it, then it was like no one did it. But that's not the Bible either. Pastor is a person, and that is a part of the role of the pastor, but it's also the role of the person who attends once a month, and it's a, the role of the person who's just walking by, curious about what does it look like to follow Jesus. This is what he calls us to. This is part of the beauty of what draws people to Christ. When someone's hurting and they see a group of people caring for each other, it's like, I want to be a part of that. It's been said among Christians, there are a few people who shoot their wounded more than Christians do, and sometimes that's true. What does it look like for us to care for others? All right, let me wrap this up. As I said before, you're not going to necessarily, we're not going to finish today, and whatever hurts you have brought, not necessarily going to mean it's going to be gone, but I do want to share this for you that are hurting today. So we have a role to be caregivers to the hurting. That's our calling. But what happens when you feel hopeless and you don't know that you can make it through the hurt, no matter how many people come and care for you? I want you to know, and I want you to, to know that I believe it's true, that God is working for your good now and forever. He's absolutely doing that. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? He said this, the fact that Jesus came to earth where he suffered and died does not remove pain from our lives, but it does show that God did not sit idly by and watch us suffer in isolation. He became one of us. Thus in Jesus, God gives us an up close and personal look at his response to human suffering. All our questions about God and suffering should, in fact, be filtered through what we know about Jesus. He saw us suffering, and he sent Jesus, and Jesus is sending us. God is working for our good now and forever. This is one of the reasons that we believe and we hope in heaven. This is why I believe John was given the revelation, which we now call revelation, (laughs) It's because it was at a time in the history of the church in which there was great hurt and agony, pain. This is the time that there was great persecution. Christians were paraded in front of a cheering crowd to be murdered. Parents ripped from their children. Their children decimated on a Colosseum floor. People 
looking to extinguish the light of Christ to the best of their ability. And in that moment, the Apostle John, the longest living of all the apostles, has this vision. And he says this about our future in Revelation 21. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what's going to happen when the kingdom of heaven permanently intersects the earth again when Jesus returns. Paul says this in another letter, in in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4. God said, if for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Whoops. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In other words, what he's saying is we are in these broken existences, recognizing we are not Jesus, and yet we get to experience his power within us. We hurt but we're not destroyed. We're persecuted, but we're not decimated. We have people that want to hurt us, but we keep going because we have the power of Jesus within us. It is not us. It is not our ability to be strong. It is our ability to have his strength. God is working for your good now and forever. And if you are in a time of hurt, and some of those hurts are... Well, they are all significant. Some are dealing with hurts that are going to last longer than others. Maybe that's the best way to say it. And I want you to know that if that's where you are, it's okay. God's not upset with you because you're hurting. If you're questioning God, it's okay. He's big enough for that. If your prayers feel more like rants at times, it's, you know what? God welcomes the ranting prayer. Articulate how you're feeling. Go deep. Dredge it up. Be as colorful in your language as you can. Process it with him. But I want us to remember as the church, we have to create margin in our lives. And this is, This is really one of my prayers for us for the next year, years. A lot of us didn't have much margin before the pandemic. The pandemic has forced a margin in our lives, time that we sit around. You may have even been bored at some point over the last year in which you can't remember before the pandemic the last time you were bored. You know what that's called? Margin. (laughs) And it's only in the margin that we see the person off to the side, hidden shuddering in pain. See, when we got somewhere to go, we don't see them. When we have margin, we see it. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to be encouraging myself, all of us, we have to have margin in our lives. That's part of what the Sabbath is about, creating margin. It's a discipline of weekly margin within our lives, but we have to have the margin to see the person who's hurting because 
God is saying, I'm, wait, I'm here, but I'm sending them to you. And they're going to help you with your hurt. I know this doesn't fully answer the question, where is God when we hurt? Because what we want the answer to be is, God takes away our hurt. <laughs> that's what we want the answer to be, but sometimes that's not the answer. Sometimes the answer is that we sit in our hurt with each other. And we recognize this world is broken. And we recognize that's going to change, but until it does, we're going to love each other. There is a difference and God is making me feel this pain and saying God has a plan while we are in this world that is filled with pain. There is a difference. God is making me feel this pain versus God is working even though in a world filled with pain. I want to pray with you. We're going to sing um, another song. Uh, maybe for you, your response needs to be you you need to get alone. Maybe you need to go somewhere. I got in the middle of a field where no one else is. No one can hear you. And you need to just let it out. Maybe you need to go and you don't need to say, I, got, I, got a, I need 30 seconds with God. Maybe you need a solid hour or two to process, to think through, to say it, to get it out. Maybe to scream it out at times. I do believe God wants that kind of honesty from us. Not the kind that we pretend like everything's okay. Ah, we're good at that. The kind where we get down deep to where we are. Perhaps along the way, you're going to see someone else who's hurting. You can help them with their hurt too. Father, God, I thank you that you are with us even in those times that we feel utterly alone. I ask you to forgive us for idly walking by as other people are just struggling to make it. God, I, pr I believe that you want us to be a part of their restoration and their hope. And God, I know there's a great fear among many of us to actually talk to somebody who's hurting. What are we going to say? How are we going to fix this? Will we make it worse? Will I just look stupid standing here? But God, give us the courage and give us the words to show love. Let's be active and love the way Paul talked about it, the way you talked about it. Father, I pray for those who are hurting today. They've lost someone that they love. They, they feel they've messed up their life and there's no going back. They're not sure where they're headed. Right now, they just know that they're not happy where they are. Whatever their hurt is, you are near to the brokenhearted. Father, let us as your body be near to them too. But I do pray for healing I pray that we will, like David, come to the end of our pain and we will celebrate and we will tell the world how good God is and how good you have been through that pain. But right now, if we can't see that celebration moment, remind us that you are there and that you are powerful. Your power is working in us. And you have a plan to bring good out of this. We ask all this in Jesus' name.